So I don't know about you, but got very annoyed with school because I had to take these mandatory classes all through kindergarten to seventh grade. Geography, history, math, science. And it was only in eighth grade when I could first choose a class. That was only one class I could choose, and there was only two choices. I had to choose, if you go to my first slide, between between shop and home economics. How many of you took shop in, in, in high school? Or junior high school? I want you to notice it's mostly males. Now how many chose home economics? So it's mostly female. Now, now some people, we actually, we got to choose, but you had to take one marking period of the other. We had to take one marking period to shop and the rest was home economics or one, one, one marking period of home ec and then you could take shop. Now, I was in this conundrum. My dad actually ran a hardware store, analog home business. And so during the weekends and during the summers, I'd be crawling under the cross space, running plumbing and running electricity, putting up drywall, putting down flooring. And I didn't really want to take shop to build Pinewood Derby cars or jewelry boxes. But my mom, now my mom's from the Philippines, and uh, she's actually from the poorest province in the Philippines. And the only person that had a college education was her dad, my grandfather, who was the school teacher. And he instilled in his nine children the importance of education. So one of my uncles became a dentist. Another became an architect. My mom decided to become a home economics teacher. And so 13-year-old Ian was in this conundrum. Do I take shop, even though I don't really want to build jewelry boxes, or do I take Comec, which is what my mother does for a living? And I had two considerations. The first was, well, I'm probably going to change diapers. <laughs> I'm probably going to need to eat. So I should probably take home ec. But I can say this as a 40-year-old. 13-year-old Ian was hitting the pubescent stage of his life. And 13-year-old Ian noticed that all the ladies was taking home ec. And that's the real reason Ian decided to sign up for home ec. Now, I was going to goof off. I didn't think I was going to do much of anything, just whatever. Because our first project was, was sewing. If you go to my next slide. Was sewing. The only male in the class. I thought I was going to be the absolute worst sewer. We give projects. All oh, this project's going to last you two weeks to sew. And... I actually turned out to be the best sewer in the class. <laughs> My lines and stitches were straight. Those curves just curved naturally. Those two-week projects would take me two days. 
And I would just sit there bored because I ended up being the best sewer in the class. Thank you, Mom, and your home economic lessons. Now, this sewing aspect will impact me five years into the future with the very thing I was handing out in the lobby. But you must wait to hear that part of the story. So I left Ian at 13 years old in the eighth grade, taking home economics, being the only guy I thoroughly enjoyed being the only guy in a class of all girls. But I was the best sewer. I'm going to fast forward five years. Ian was trying to decide what to do, and, and, and here are some photos of what I eventually decided to do of me. I decided to join the Air Force. Um, I don't have many photos of myself. I actually found those lovely glasses. They, they call, they're called BCGs. I have no idea what they, they stand for. Um, I'm not going to be able to preach long in these because I already feel myself like, if I fall off the stage, you know it's because of this. Because <laughs> these prescriptions are 20 years old. There you see a picture of me half a lifetime ago and, and half an eon ago as well. Uh, Now, you can imagine in boot camp, they teach you various things, like how to shoot an M16, field training exercise. We had something called mop gear, for it's, so it's for nuclear, biological, chemical warfare. So you basically, it's, it's a parka covered in charcoal, and you'd put it on, you'd put the gas mask on, the hood on, and stuff like that. That was very fun in San Antonio, Texas in August. Let me tell you that. I think the sweat was worse than actually going through the tear gas chamber. But there's other things that they, they I got it, I got it, sorry, I, I got I to take them off. <laughs> I'm going to be almost, I was like a sailor there. I was in the Air Force, that can't happen. <laughs> but there's other things that they taught you. They didn't teach you just how to, to do field training exercises. They, they didn't teach you just how to, how to do stuff. They taught you some discipline. They taught you how to properly iron and starch your uniform. So you have those creases down the front of your trousers and down the sides of your arms. There's so much starch, you could actually put, stand up your uniform that high. And at boot camp, there were certain people in your flight of 100 that knew how to iron. There were certain people that knew how to Put hospital corners in your bed. You guys know what hospital corners are? There's some people that were very good at that. I was not one of them. But there were certain people that were very good at that. There were certain people that were very good at shining their boots. Now, I don't have my full kit here because I'm missing like my cotton swabs and my mop and glow. But there are some people that were very good at shining their shoes. You gotta use Kiwi. I'll, I'll mention this story. One time, I, Elena's asking for the grocery list, and I was like, hey, Elena, I need some, some Kiwi. Not shoe shine polish, I need Kiwi. And she comes home with the fruit. What is, what is this? You said you needed Kiwi. Yeah, I needed Kiwi. 
well, I got you Kiwi. That's not the Kiwi I'm looking for. I needed this type, because there's only one brand for shoeshine, and it's Kiwi. But I wasn't really good at that either. There's people that folded clothes, because you had to have your clothes certain dimensions. We were all given these white plain t-shirts. And you had to fold them into perfect 12-inch squares. We would take tweezers to pull them out. Just because you're at 11 and 3 quarters inch, you had to pull out the sides. Liz is laughing because she probably had to do this in the Army as well. You had to perfectly get it at 12 inches. There's people that place certain things in your footlocker in certain places. Here's an example. Your uniforms had to be evenly, your serviceable uniforms had to be evenly spaced in your foot wall locker. Notice I said serviceable. It, your uniform is not serviceable if it was dirty, if it had the wrong rank on it, if it had strings hanging off of it. Now, people would take the little scissors, like, like in the sewing kit, they would take the little scissors and just spend hours, or lighters spending hours just burning the strings off their uniforms. Or, your uniform's not serviceable if it was missing buttons. Now, I wasn't good at ironing or shining or folding 12-inch shirts or, or any of that. But within a week of boot camp, in a group of 100 men, someone lost a button. And they're walking up and down the bays. Does anyone know how to sew on a button? There's only one. We took a poll earlier where most of the men said they took shop class. In my flight, there was only one person that knew how to sew on buttons. And so I had a pile of uniforms. I had dozens of these little things. I never shined my shoes at boot camp or ironed my clothes or did my bed in hospital corners because I was sewing on buttons. That was my only job in the barracks, to sew on buttons. People ask, why would they want you to fold stuff in 12-inch squares? Our drill sergeant would say it's attention to detail. If I could tr trust you with a t-shirt, I could trust you with my life. I could trust you with a plane. I could trust you with a missile. I could trust you with anything. But if I can't trust you with a dollar or two dollar shirt, I could never trust you with those more important things. Oddly enough, I think Jesus spoke to the same thing in Luke chapter 16. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the un if not been if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, 
who will give you that which is your own. No servant could serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one to despise the other. You cannot serve God and serve money. We've come to that time in our, our worship service that it's time for offering. And one of my questions for you is, one of those little things to do, can you help out the church? We approved of a budget next week, last week that focuses on our staff, midweek to go, all our outreach, all the things that we give to like Camp Ader and stuff. Those are the little things that we could help out to get the cause of Christ to everyone that would be impacted. Let us pray. Gracious God, we offer you our thanksgiving for all the blessings you so abundantly give to us, for the food and the fellowship over the last few days, for a fragrant cup of coffee or tea that welcomes the new morning, for the deep delight that overflows when we think of the ones we love. Gracious God, we offer you our thanksgiving for all the gifts you grant to us that are easy to see and for those that are disguised for the blessings we recognize, and for those we fail to notice. O oh Lord, hear our prayers of gratitude. In the quiet of these moments, we turn to you, hoping to sense you, speak words of love and forgiveness, of meaning and grace. Gracious God, recenter our lives in the things that are important to you, your will and your ways, the ones you love, and the things that will matter beyond this day or even this week. Amen. I don't know about you, but the topic around the Thanksgiving tables that I've been at on Thursday and Friday was around Penn State football. As I was preparing this message, I, I spent some time watching on Friday to watching Penn State just completely dominate Michigan State. But the conversation was always about the firing of their offensive coordinator and what Penn State should do. I don't think it's an offensive coordinator problem. I think it's something deeper minute, smaller. What do I mean by that? Yurcich was fired, he was there for a couple of years, but the coach before him was let go because he was a perfectionist. And he didn't jive with the culture. One season, that was the COVID years, so I give a little pass at that. But he demanded perfection out of the offense. And I thought about it as I was preparing this message. He demanded perfection because he focused on the details. He focused on the fundamentals. 
Yeah, it's exciting to see Aller throw a 40-yard bomb and a wide receiver catch it one-handed and run the rest of the way to take it to the house for a touchdown. But what the wide receivers aren't doing is getting separation. They aren't studying film of the other team, of the corner that's lining up across from them. Does that corner have outside leverage? And if he has outside leverage, does he have safety help? Does he have inside leverage so that it gives the sideline? What's his footwork? And if you notice the footwork, then you notice when you could break your route to get some distance. So you're open for the pass. It's the details that aren't being focused on. Maybe it's me, but the old coach was a perfectionist. Maybe it's because he focused in on the details and the small things. I don't know how many of you, how many of you have played organized sports? Baseball, basketball, football, soccer, and your coach tells you to remember the fundamentals. They go back, remember your fundamentals. Focused in on those small little things and you'll be successful. And ultimately, I think that's why Penn State's 10 and 2 and sitting at home this morning waiting for which bowl game they're going to go to on New Year's Day. Instead of 12 and 0, preparing for Iowa in the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis this Saturday. But really, it's not just Penn State football. It's a small thing, it's just the details. It's the buttons that we need to focus on in our spiritual lives. 2023 is coming to a close. And we just called a new pastor. And for the first few days, my focus was on the big things that we could do as a church. Heading into the new year, heading into a new direction with new leadership here. But it's not that. It's the small things. The big things will never succeed as long as my prayer life is not in order. As long as my devotion life is not in order. As long as I'm a consumer of God's word instead of a giver of God's word. If I hold back my tithes and offerings instead of giving, it's these small things that will breed success for this church. The Bible is littered with characters that only are in there for a couple Verses. If you go to 2 Kings chapter 5, there is a little slave girl who doesn't even have a name. She's only in the Bible for three verses. Yet her impact, and probably just an off-the-cuff statement, I wish my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he, the prophet, would cure his leprosy. Probably an offhanded statement as she was serving the mistress. What did 
that lead to? If we go to the Philippians, I'm going to butcher saying his name. I'm going to have to look at it before even, even attempting to, to say it. Epaphroditus, a name I did not know before this week. But the church at Philippi sent him to Paul who was in prison at Rome so that the church at Philippi through Epaphroditus can minister to Paul. And he risked his life for doing that. Epaphroditus returned back to the church at Philippi with this epistle. We wouldn't have the book of Philippians without this gentleman. He's only mentioned for five to seven verses. He's mentioned earlier in Philippians. He's only mentioned seven verses in the Bible. But how many people, dare I say millions if not billions, have been impacted by his little work, his attention to detail for the gospel of Christ. I like to focus on the big thing. I'm a big thinker. I have dreams. I have aspirations, not just for myself and my family, but for this church. But I know it's not going to be successful if we are not focused on the small things. Making sure my shirt is perfectly 12 inches, not making sure my, my shoes are shined, that my creases in my uniform are pressed, and dare I say that my uniform has serviceable, including all its buttons. Go to my next slide. So my question for you today, keep going. What is the one small thing that you can be faithful in? Is it your prayer? Is it your devotion? Is it your offering? Is it your physical labor that you could give to this church? Is it talking to individuals that you run across at Giant or Aldi's or, or Wise at the grocery store to tell them about Jesus generally and this church specifically? What is the one small thing that you could do to be more faithful in. Amen.